Welcome into the Boy Open Up podcast. I'm your host, Doug Hildreth. With me, as always, is my beautiful co-host and fiance, Christine Stacy. As always, we want to make sure everybody understands that the views and opinions we express here are solely our own and nobody else's and no other enterprises. Thank you guys for tuning in. As always, we appreciate the support, the input, the feedback, and most importantly, you opening up with us. So today we're going to talk about the narratives we tell ourselves, otherwise known as those tapes that are playing. This has always been a struggle for me, is changing those narratives and uh, letting them not control or control our behavior. Those thoughts that seem to become self-fulfilling prophecy maybe contribute to big changes in our lives or contribute to not changing our lives. Yeah, staying put. Yep. So let's talk about that. So tell me about a time that you had a strong narrative in your brain and it seemed literally impossible to change it or get to the other side of it. For me, this is something that I've probably dealt with my whole life and I think we all do. What I'll say is that there's a lot of narratives that have played in my head over the years. This is one that's always really prominent for me because I have some specific memories directly around it and how I actually eventually moved through it. And it relates to when I was trying to get clean and sober. Mm. When I was stuck in the, the pit of my substance abuse and drug addiction. Drinking and using, I would call it an illustrious career. <laughs> At the point okay. of no return, there was this constant back and forth where I would get up every day and I would still have this conversation like, today's the day I'm going to quit. Right. Today's the day it's all going to stop. And today I'm going to I'm going to figure it out. And you believed yourself. Yes. I did. And I and it's not that I didn't believe myself. It's that there was nothing more in the world that I wanted than to quit. Hmm. Than to get clean and sober. There was a tremendous urge and desire to cease forever. But the temptation and the impulse was impossible for me to stop. And I was really in this weird place where I I would wake up with the utmost sincere desire to change almost immediately upon making that declaration or that decision I would then have the follow-up tape that plays that says you can't do this you're too weak you don't deserve to change you don't deserve to be free from this misery because of all the horrible things that you've done to the people in your life, to people around your life, to people in the community. I was a taker. As a drug addict and an alcoholic, I did nothing but take from everybody. I absolutely would rob you of everything you had to offer. And once I had consumed everything somebody had to offer me, I would discard them and move on because that was how I survived in the world. Mm -hmm. And there was so much guilt and shame built up around that behavior and those harms that I had done to others and those actions that I genuinely believed that I was just broken and that it wasn't something I could change. The problem with that too is the only thing that made me stop thinking about those things was drugs and alcohol. Right. So I would perpetuate the cycle by having to put more drugs and alcohol in my body to cope with the way I was feeling. And it was just this ongoing cycle. I had a very, very specific moment where we call it a jumping off place. 
And this was where I had really gotten to, where I had really receded from society and from people in so many ways because I was unemployable, I was unreliable, and I had burned all the bridges in my life. I would just, I was sitting at home on my couch and I remember having a mirror lined out with drugs. And all I wanted to do was not do them. And I knew that I had to keep doing them to make the feeling stop. And I remember literally just tears running down my face and dripping onto that mirror and just sobbing because I felt so broken and so helpless and so hopeless. I genuinely didn't know if change was possible. Mm -hmm. I did not believe that I had it in me. Right. Those thoughts were literally in control. Yes, that was the narrative. You're not good enough. You don't deserve it. You're inadequate. And my all-time favorite, you're pathetic. Those two words are probably the biggest triggers in my life. I was told that a lot as a little, little child. You're pathetic. Hmm. And you want to talk about taking home the narratives that your caregivers give you. Those are words that I don't use. I don't say pathetic to anybody because it was so devastating to me. And that is the voice I would hear in my head whenever I tried to stop was you're pathetic. And it would just ring. And it's still to this day, just even talking about it brings up defensive emotions inside of me. So then let's fast forward a little bit and talk about a time when obviously you're sober now. Correct. Yes. I've been sober almost 15 years now. Okay. Wow. However, let's fast forward and talk about your thoughts and tell us about a time when you realized that narrative had changed or was changing or you were like at kind of a specific. None of these narratives, none of this negative self-talk, none of this self-loathing changed by me all of a sudden gaining the strength to do it Mm -hmm. by myself. I am not sitting here talking to you because I am an incredible person. I'm sitting here talking to you and sharing my experience, strength, and hope because I have literally stood on the shoulders of so many gracious men and women. That's my disclaimer. If you're wanting to change, you can do it. You just have to ask somebody for help. So I had finally asked for help. And by asked, I mean I was arrested and charged with 15 felonies and forced to get willing because it was you're going to go to prison what are you going to do about it and really it was i could just sit in it and stay me and stay with the same destructive self-defeating behaviors or i could do something about it right i got this mentor in my life that started helping me and my parents had helped have always been massive advocates for my growth and success and, and tried to help me there's too much emotion in family and that's really hard to understand and discern What we need is somebody who can step in that is objective and has no emotion in the situation other than wanting to see you succeed. I was very fortunate that this man came into my life when he did. My thing was, was I was on trial and I had about 90 days or so before my trial was going to happen. And we knew that. So I started working with him and he said, well, you know, call me every day and you're going to check in. And I was under 24 hour supervision with the court. So I was either under supervision with my parents at work with them. Okay. So they got to bring their felon child to work with them. How old are you right now? I was 20 years old. I'd been indicted by a grand jury, a federal grand jury on 15 felonies. 
<laughs> We're going to have to have that story another day. Yes, and miraculously granted a release. Wow. Miraculously. No bail posted, granted release on condition of 24-hour supervision by my parents or this mentor that had been cleared by the courts. Oh, and wow. that was it. And if I left their supervision at any point... I was to go straight back to jail until I was sentenced for prison. Okay. And so it, there was a lot hanging over me. Outside motivation. I also had a lot of inside motivation. So I start calling this guy. For me, coming out of the haze of drugs, the first week or so was just sleeping, eating, and then having the sick stuff that comes. The withdrawals. Just okay. going through really bad withdrawals. Once I came out of that, then all I wanted to do was eat cereal and lay on the couch and watch Friends episodes all day. <laughs> that was all I wanted to do. That was how I coped. And so this guy said... So I obviously am super naive to the process, but that is not at all what I would ever guess. <laughs> yeah. That was Using. how I coped. I ate a lot of sugar and I made, watched things that made me laugh. Okay. Okay. And I was a mess. I was crazy. And I will say this. I genuinely believe at that time if a psychiatrist had come into contact with me... I would have been locked up. I had just been on a six month run. I had gotten out of, of rehab, my first inpatient rehab, June 5th of 2005. So I had just come out of this, this just absolute bender where they had told me, if you keep using the way you are, you're going to die in six months. My liver enzymes were through the roof. My kidneys weren't functioning very well when I oh, got wow. there. I was in really bad shape and I was 20 years old. Yeah, that's so And so I start calling this guy and I just would tell him the truth. I, I, I was so crazy. I was like, I can't do this. I'm not going to make it through today. I don't know what to do. And he said, okay, just relax. So real quick, when you call him and say, I'm so crazy and you're eating cereal and watching friends, like what is it in your head that's making you feel like I'm so crazy? Well, I have the same tape that played in my head. And this is wild, so I'll share this. So until I was almost six years sober, the same image played in my head all day, every day, until I was almost six years sober. And it was my credit card chopping up lines of methamphetamine. Huh. And I could not get that sound or that image out of my head. Interesting. And once that tape would start to play, when I was really early in recovery, all I wanted to do was go get loaded. Because I just craved it. Because I was feeling so many things that I had numbed, repressed, not even looked at or dealt with or acknowledged for so many years. And all of it was just coming up. And the crazy thing was, was all of that trauma and those narratives, right? They're still there. They're stronger than ever when you're sober. So for yeah. those of you that don't do drugs, trust me, I know how serious they are. I started getting them in ways I never had before because I had been tuning them out with the drug use. I was okay. medicating. That's just it. I didn't use drugs and alcohol to get drunk. I used them to medicate the way I was feeling. Right. I was taking medication. It was the wrong kind. <laughs> right. I didn't understand that. I just knew that when I put it in my body, I felt better because yeah. my mental health improved enough that I could get through the day. Yeah, we joked once when I said... I'm that person that's never used anything in my life, and right. it terrifies me, and I'll have a glass of wine and stuff, but um, that's about it. To me, the idea of it, it just frightens me because I don't want to lose control, and you said... Absolutely. This is this is a defining moment if you know to know if you're a drug addict or an alcoholic. Right. 
I always felt absolutely in control with chemicals in my body. Right. I felt out of control in my body sober. Yeah. I never felt comfortable in my own skin. Mm-hmm. Didn't know how. Okay, so let's go back to... Yeah. So I'm calling Jim. I'm calling this guy, and I mean, I'm like, Jim, I can't do this. I am freaking out. And I always say this. I had two feelings at that point in my recovery, and it was victim or assassin. So I was the biggest victim in the world, or I was ready to slit throats. And I just went vacillating back and forth between the two, and I never stopped in the middle. And it was just victim, assassin, victim, (laughs) assassin, just back and forth. And anything could trigger me. Right. And I call him one day and I, I mean, I am caving in and I'm like, I can't do it. I'm going to go. I got to, you know, and I'm like thinking of ways I can get away from my parents. And I'm right. telling him this, like, I'm trying to come up with excuses for how I can slip away. Right. And he goes, okay, look, this is what we're going to do. Whenever that thought creeps in, he goes, I want you, as soon as you realize it's happening, because sometimes I wouldn't even realize right. that was happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just say whatever you're doing in the moment out loud. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. This is your solution to my problem. I'm having very bad days in a row. And you want me to talk about what I'm doing out loud. Like talk about walking down the stairs. Literally. So my first day of doing this is I get out of bed. The tape starts playing almost immediately. And that's just the way my mind works. As soon as my eyes open, my brain's on. In those days, it was just negativity. All negativity, all the time. I get dressed. I'm like spiraling down this pit into what we call pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. I hit the stairs, and Jim's voice pops in my head. And I say, I'm walking down the stairs. I'm walking down the stairs. I'm walking down the stairs. I'm in the living room. I'm turning on the light. I'm walking into the kitchen. I'm trying to envision you doing this and your parents sitting on the couch. <laughs> my mom, my dad is gone for work at this point. Okay. And my mom was home. And the look she's giving me is the one you're giving me right now. <laughs> and it is literally like, oh no, he's broken. <laughs> he's completely gone now. He's lost it. We've he, lost the him. drugs fried him. I go into the kitchen and she's like, what is going on? I just told her. I've got this exercise Jim's got me doing. Just let me work it out. I didn't have the ability to even communicate with another human. So just being questioned on it instantly made me feel insecure, instantly brought up all of the negative tapes about why it's stupid, why it's not going to work. Why Immediately back to the assassin. Exactly. Literally, like ready to rip somebody's head off for questioning what I'm doing. You can tell, right? Just by the animation in my voice. It really was real to me at that point. (laughs) I go into the kitchen... So I get to it, and and so I say out loud, I'm doing the dishes. I'm putting the dishes in the dishwasher. I'm rinsing the glasses. I start doing this, and all of a sudden, I start to realize, though, that I'm not thinking about those negative tapes. All of a sudden, I'm literally just living in the moment. This was moments of clarity Mm -hmm. sprinkled in with long intervals of insanity. Especially early while I was learning to change these narratives. Because these aren't narratives that had been playing for a week or two or a month. These were narratives that I had heard since I was a child. And I was 20 years old. So 15 years of narratives in a life of 20 years is 75% of my life. Right. This stuff takes time. What I realized was the more I did this, 
the more present I became. I also became more aware of when these negative thoughts were creeping in, and I started to recognize that I actually didn't like them. You see, I was so used to the chaos that the negative narratives created that I would find ways to create chaos and create barriers so that I could relapse into those behaviors because those were safe. Even it's though all they you knew hurt. How to do. Exactly. It is all I knew how to do. I knew how to operate in that system. I did not know how to operate in present. I did not know how to operate in communicating my feelings. I didn't know how to operate even in society. Let's be real. I was getting ready to go to prison. Right. And I had no idea that that's what he was teaching me. But he was teaching me. And that was when those narratives finally started to change. I remember the day I went to prison, I signed a plea bargain. And the maximum sentence for my crimes was 65 years. If the judge wants to what they call upward depart you, they can sentence you to a maximum term of. And there, it was not going to happen. Right. It doesn't matter, though, when you look at that number. Oh, yeah. And you have to sign your name on the dotted line. I'm standing there, and I mean shaking violently, terrified. And Jim was there with my family. Jim read it. And he slaps me on the back and he looks at me and he goes, if you don't get 65 years, you get to be grateful. What he said right after that, though, is stuck with me for the last 15 years. And he said, you're going to go to a place, and I'm going to get a little emotional right now, where there's not going to be anybody looking for the good in the world. And that is your job while you're there, is to find the good and find the God in the world. Hmm. And I took it with me and I've used it every day. To find the good and find the God. That phrase has guided me through my recovery. Has helped drastically change the narratives that existed in my head. Because when I look for the good, I can find it. No matter where I am. Right. One thing that came to mind immediately as you were telling me the story of speaking out loud what you're doing... And really replacing your thoughts, it's a, it's a number of things that are going on. Yes. You're actively replacing your thoughts. You're meditating on the present, what is happening right now, and not getting sucked into past or future, just practicing the present. Also, you are literally defining the fact that our thoughts... Define our actions. Right. Absolutely. So all those things are happening in this little, little tiny activity that Jim gave you. One of my all-time favorite, very short spiritual reads, which you'll have to read someday, is by Brother Lawrence. Okay. And it's called The Practice of the Presence of God. And it's real short. I've always been intrigued by monks. (laughs) Okay. what it's worth. And he does this whole practice as he's washing dishes, just in the process of washing dishes and realizing that we can interact with God or the divine and pray in that moment. Or spirit or whatever. Yeah, and pray in that moment. And I feel like that's kind of something that has stayed with you ever since. We talked a lot just now about narratives and changing them and kind of gave a story really that lasted over the span of how many years well now we're 15 years into that same story right and you can see the change of your inner conversation would you say 
at this time, I remember a conversation we had with people and I just figured knowing him now and the transformation <laughs> I have seen that I like to say Mr. Confident over here <laughs> has just totally these old narratives, old negativity, old thoughts have just gone to the wayside and have forever been lost. And yep. now we are filled with roses and daisies and positivity. Yep. All the things. Yeah. I just left it all behind me. I outgrew it all. Right. And that is so false. <laughs> I believe that that's really important to underline. And I, I know that's what you're highlighting. Right. Is that the narratives don't go away. They do change. And I have very different narratives that dominate my thought process, which helps dominate my behaviors and my actions today. Right. The other narratives are still there. I like to think of them as just dormant right okay. now. And they're, they wait for their moments. Totally. Triggered is the word. Mm -hmm. And there are still actions, thoughts, behaviors, things that will trigger it. And it can be in others, which is wild. That very much is the thing, is others usually will be what trigger me. Right. Still to this day at 15 years clean and sober and very much on the other side and into a different phase of life, emotionally, spiritually, physically, I can get triggered without even realizing I've been triggered like that. Right. And I think that's what you're getting at. Yeah, Is that it, sure. It's there. They're always there. Today, I have different ways to cope with them. I yes. have actual skills. Yeah. You've developed kind of your toolbox. and Yes. Uh, there are days, though, that I don't deal with them well. Yes. Yes. I will attest to that. Yeah. But same thing for me. There's times that I really struggle in that inner dialogue. So I think this was really good. I think uh, that whole process of changing thoughts, I'm on the same kind of journey so anyways, your story is pretty awesome, and I think it gives a really good description of the process of changing the narratives, the process of changing our thoughts, and also just recognizing how much our thoughts can determine our behavior, yet our thoughts are completely made up. They're not real. They're not. We just kind of have created them from it's crazy a web of different things uh our past our present people who influence us and so it's really important that what we do create in our head is is supporting the direction we want to go and supporting yeah. who we want to be and what we want to run and we're going to talk more about that for sure in the next one mm -hmm. I, I think that it's really really critical too to understand as what you're saying is that we're the only ones that see the world the way we see it. Right. You do not see the world through the same lens that I do because you and I have had different life experiences. And that's why it's so critical that instead of trying to change myself on my own, I have to have other people involved because you can see me so objectively. Mm -hmm. And I can see you so objectively that we can offer insight into each other. Right. That is not clouded with all of the other narratives that I carry with me. Right. When you give me feedback, it's not based on the little boy that's broken inside. When I give you feedback, it's not based on that little girl mm -hmm. that suffered so much loss. Right. And that allows us to actually be effective with each other. And we're going to dive into this <laughs> in a current real world situation in the next episode. We're going to walk through it with Christine. Yes, I can't wait. It's going to be awesome because I think a lot of us 
a lot of people that will listen to this will think, oh, okay, well, this is only for people that are drug addicts or alcoholics. Right. And that's not the case because every single person has narratives and every single person learns to deal with their trauma, their loss, their stuff differently. And you are not a drug addict or an alcoholic in any way. This is, you've never done drugs. You barely drink. You've never even smoked a cigarette in your life. Correct. So you're as straight edged as anybody can be. And you still have had to learn how to cope with these narratives. This is really fascinating stuff. We want to thank everybody for tuning in and for listening. And we appreciate you opening up with us. Tune in to the next episode. We'll see you guys soon.